0: Hello, and welcome to Prime Med's podcast on opioid therapy and chronic pain conditions. We welcome Dr. Charles Argoff. Dr. Argoff is a professor of neurology at the Albany Medical College and director at the Comprehensive Pain Center at Albany Medical Center. The learning objective of this podcast is, choose approaches for initial and ongoing use of opioids in patients with chronic pain. Before we get started, Let me remind everyone that this podcast is supported by an independent educational grant from the opioid analgesic REMS program companies. For more information, please visit the activity page for this podcast on www.primed.com.
1: I'm Dr. Charles Argoff, and um, I am a professor of neurology at Albany Medical College and director of the comprehensive pain management center and Pain Management Fellowship at Albany Medical Center in Albany, New York. And the title of this podcast is, Is There a Space for Opioid Therapy in Chronic Pain Conditions? So in this podcast, I'm going to address the issue of efficacy of opioids versus non-opioids in chronic pain conditions. And in order to do that, I would like to offer a deeper look into two recently published peer-reviewed publications, both published in JAMA, and each sought to address this very issue. This is a question that everyone, including myself, who practices clinically in clinical practice wants an answer to, but it's not that simple. So you may wonder, or some of you may know why I titled this podcast, Is There a Space and a Space Being Capitalized for Opioid Therapy and Chronic Pain Conditions? And in fact, this is a play on the name of one of the, random, one of the trials I'm going to speak about, the SPACE trial. And the first author of this paper is Dr. Aaron Krebs. The paper was published in JAMA in 2018, and the objective of this study was to compare opioid versus non-opioid medications over 12 months on pain-related function, pain intensity, as well as adverse effects. Now, what was the study population? How was this done? This study randomized 240 people from VA, Veteran Affairs, primary care clinics. So important point is that this individuals in this study were people who were being seen in a primary care setting. People who were involved in this study, so all patients had moderate to severe chronic low back pain or hip or knee osteoarthritis pain. So the the, the type of pain, essentially, moderate to severe musculoskeletal pain of different types. There were two groups the opioid group and the non-opioid group. And each group was treated in three steps, and it was desi- this was approached, this approach that was used was designed to reach the goals of reduced pain intensity and less interference with general activity. Patients in the opioid group started taking immediate-release opioids They started with either morphine immediate release, oxycodone immediate release, or hydrocodone combined with acetaminophen. Step two was extended release opioid use, so either morphine or oxycodone. Step three was the use of transdermal fentanyl, and the maximum daily dose was 100 morphine milligram equivalents, better known as MMEs. Patients in the non-opioid group started on acetaminophen and NSAIDs, so non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, in step one. Step two included adjuvant oral medications, such as nortriptyline, amitriptyline, or gabapentin. Step three included pregabalin, duloxetine, and tramadol. And patients were initially prescribed a step one medication unless clinically inappropriate. Subsequent changes, including titrating, replacing, or adding medications was based upon a follow-up and, and evaluation and the perceived need to make a change. What's really important is that the step three non-opioid group could have received Tramadol. And Tramadol, as you may know, in fact, is metabolized. It's considered a weak opioid analgesic and, in fact, metabolized to um, an opioid agonist. So, interesting. So, what were the study results? I'll just highlight them. There was no significant difference in pain-related function between the two groups over 12 months of treatment. Pain intensity was significantly better in the non-opioid group, even though the magnitude was small. So that's 0.5 or a half a point on a zero to 10 brief pain inventory scale in terms of pain intensity. So just half a point in the non-opioid group. Adverse medication-related symptoms were significantly more common, however, in the opioid group. So let me just summarize that. No difference in pain-related function changes Pain intensity is significantly, on a statistical basis, better in the non-opioid group, but the magnitude is small at 0.5 points. But very important in terms of how we approach a a clinical decision is that adverse medication-related symptoms were significantly more common in the opioid group. And interestingly, anxiety symptoms were statistically better in the opioid group. And the authors concluded that among patients with chronic low back pain or hip or knee osteoarthritis pain. Treatment with opioids compared with non-opioids did not result in significantly better pain-related function over 12 months. So a couple of key comments. The strong points of this study are that this was a real-world study and that it was prospective. However, the author's conclusion that opioids were not indicated for a certain type of chronic pain, for the type of chronic pain studied uh, are, I mean, they're actually made weaker by some key elements. So let's look first at the opioid dose. In other published studies of the use of an opioid in musculoskeletal pain, in one such study, 20 milligrams per day of oxycodone was studied compared to placebo. And there was no difference from placebo when 20 milligrams per day of oxycodone was, was used. So in other words, 20 milligrams of oxycodone, no difference from placebo. 40 milligrams per day provided sustained analgesia. So 40 milligrams per day of oxycodone is equivalent to 80 MMEs, or morphine milligram equivalents. And in the SPACE study, the one that we're, that we're discussing now, most participants received 50 MMEs. So one important question just to consider in terms of analgesic pain-relieving benefit, analgesic efficacy, is were those individuals receiving 50 MMEs undertreated? That's an important point to consider. Another very important confounding element is that tramadol was included in the non-opioid treatment group, and frankly, I don't understand that. This is a real problem because tramadol is an opioid. It's generally considered a weak opioid, as I previously mentioned, but it's an opioid. And this was in the non-opioid arm. 11% of individuals got to step three and used tramadol. And so that's important, although um, it's, in, it's also important to, to note that, that um, the authors did um, described their secondary analyses excluding the prescribed tramadol in, in the paper, but nevertheless, people in the trial and some of the basis for their conclusions were in people who actually received an opioid in the non-opioid group. And so the other really important point is that both treatment groups demonstrated analgesia and improved function. And there was a difference in side effects. There was a slight difference in pain intensity. And the point should not be made that they're equivalent because the adverse event profile, and there are other issues, of course, were higher with opioid, in the opioid use category compared to those who were in the non-opioid category. But it is important when we think about personal, personalized ac- approaches to, to managing a person's chronic pain to recognize that both treatment groups demonstrated pain relief and improved function. So I'm going to move on to another study before making some concluding comments. So Andrew Chang, who is an emergency room um, physician and um, a professor of emergency medicine um, and vice chair of the Department of Emergency Medicine at Albany Medical College, so he's a colleague of mine, um, published in JAMA in 2017, the effect of a single dose of oral opioid and non-opioid, so it's versus non-opioid, in the emergency room in people with acute extremity pain. So, for example, after an injury. Um, The patients were given one of four combinations of analgesics upon arrival in the emergency room, and their pain was measured at arrival and then two hours after receiving that. The four types of analgesics provided were, one, category number one was 400 milligrams of ibuprofen and 1,000 milligrams of acetaminophen. Two, uh, second group, 5 milligrams of oxycodone and 325 milligrams of acetaminophen. Three, 5 milligrams of hydrocodone and 300 milligrams of acetaminophen. Or four, 30 milligrams of, of codeine and 300 milligrams of acetaminophen and 416 total patients were randomized into four groups and given one of these four oral regimens in blinded capsules. So what were the results of this study? There were no statistically or clinically important differences in pain reduction at two hours among these four groups. All four regimens reduced pain intensity equally. All four regimens were efficacious. Um, approximately 20% of the people who were involved in this study needed a rescue medication within the two-hour time period. So what does this mean? We have two studies, one a 12-month study, one very short study, looking to compare the effects of opioids versus non-opioids on reduction of pain intensity. But the answer to this question is not simple. Abusing opioid versus non-opioid is not simple. We have to be really careful of comparisons that are not equivalent because people are not the same for a variety of reasons. The key question, as is often the case, is how can we understand who it, it, the patient is that we are treating? So for example, are there any contraindications to using a non-opioid regimen? Um, are there any contraindications to using nortriptyline, gabapentin? Or amitriptyline in the non opioid group in the Krebs study? Um, would there be any contraindications in using an NSED in somebody? Um, are there any ever insta- There are certainly instances that we know where we would prefer uh, or it would be preferable to use a non opioid because of someone's past history of opioid abuse or misuse or lack of response or adverse responses. So these studies are intriguing because they do provide a background and a foundation to give us the ability to make a decision that is best for the person in front of us. So more than likely, we're going to strive to a non-opioid first when we consider either group of type of patient that was studied. Um, But we also have to think that there may be patients for whom the opioid approach may be better. Other considerations. So is the person older? And could an NSAID have serious adverse effect? Um, this is something to consider. This is not looked at in in, in, in a formal way in in either of these studies. Um, is someone with a history of cardiovascular disease or renal disease um, someone who should should in which an NSAID should be avoided? Um, what other medications are the patient um, on that may be kind. If, if somebody is already on, for example, um, a SSRI agent for depression or anxiety, would you want to add uh, to that person's regimen another medication, such as in the Krebs trial, duloxetine was one, nortriptyline or amitriptyline, that may have interactions because of its own those medicines own serotonergic activity. So I realize and understand that these issues were not formally assessed or studied in the trials that I reviewed. But I think the important thing is to, to acknowledge that non-opioid therapy it is almost always, almost always going to be the way to go initially, unless there's a clear reason not to, but that not all people will respond to non-opioid therapy, not all people will tolerate non-opioid therapy, And there may be a subset of people for whom a different approach is necessary in order to help that person achieve uh, uh, um, effective analgesia. And for maybe a small, medium, we don't know the exact number, subgroup of those individuals, a trial of opioid therapy may, may be appropriate. Maybe not first line, but second line or third line. And so the key message is it's important to have options It's important to recognize the person that you're treating and be an individualized treatment. And both opioids and non-opioids in given individuals may have a role in the treatment of chronic musculoskeletal pain. Well, thanks so much uh, for your attention, and I hope this has been
0: of interest to you. To obtain your CME credit, please visit primed.com and complete a short post-assessment. If you listen to this podcast on another platform, please refer to the episode description, where there is a direct link to the activity page on primed.com for claiming CME credit.